And why do I have a headlamp on my head, and why are we sitting in the dark? Because um, I, we like blackouts, so we wanted to pretend that we had a blackout. Yeah. My dad why? is wearing a headlamp. Why are you talking like that? Because I like to. <laughs> okay. I sound cute. <laughs> uh, no, not really. Ow. Um, yeah, we're sitting in the dark, pretending that we've lost power, and I have a headlamp on, and we're sitting on the couch reading Harry Potter. Uh, I get interrupted every maybe 15 to 20 seconds to explain or to answer a question. Do not poke your sister in the eye. She hit me on my butt. Stop. Yay. Okay, Isla, come a little closer. So the question is for Isla. Who is my oldest, oldest daughter? daughter. Um, the question is, um, what is coronavirus? It's uh, a lung virus. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> what does it do? It can infect your lungs. Mm-hmm. And what, um, what do I do? What's my job? Daddy's job is to make try to make vaccines to make them feel better. Right. What do you think my job is? Mm, to make vaccines. Well, you're just saying what she said. You work in um, a very fancy office. I've been there before. We brought him a lot of snacks so he can work really well because he eats a whole lot of snacks. <laughs> so basically, I go to work in a really fancy office and eat snacks all day. Is, no, that, is that my job? No, no, and you- <laughs> This is All Told from the Washington Post. In this episode, we peer inside the life of Dr. Timothy Sheehan. He's a 43-year-old virologist who has been studying ways to stop coronaviruses for 11 years. Now, he's racing to develop drugs for this current version of the virus that we all know that's swept across the world. Do you think I work too much? Am I always at work? I think you... I think... Like, I'm not saying that it's bad, but you do work. I feel like you work too much because I, you're you're there like five hours a day, and I feel so sad. <laughs> Daddy is recording this. Yes, thank you. Tim lives with his two daughters and wife, Anna, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He's recorded himself from May 21st to the 28th. Here's Tim in his own words. So tomorrow I have to talk to some a group of business leaders um, um, and the chancellor at UNC has invited me to talk about our work um, to fight COVID-19. Um, with these influential business people, I think they're hoping to maybe partner with them somehow to kind of help uh, people get back to work using um, you know the expertise that UNC has in business and public health. So I'm having to shave, and I don't shave that often because. What do I have to shave for? Um, 
but tomorrow I actually have to wear a tie and hopefully I don't cut myself. It is pouring out and it is 11.38 and time to go to bed. Oh. Okay, I'm out of here. Hopefully there are no more disasters. Bye, Dad. Love you. Love you, too. Peace. Normally, um, I used to, like, listen to NPR or listen to the news on the way to work. And um, today I'm obviously not doing that. But um, it got to be... Especially, like, in January, February, it got to be so depressing, I'd end up basically, like, crying on the way to work every day. Um, which is not really what you, you know, the, the headspace you want to be in when you're trying to work with deadly viruses. We're trying to basically study SARS coronavirus 2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. We're trying to... Um, study its biology at the same time you know the lab is um, leading uh, an effort to um, evaluate the frontline vaccines antibodies and antiviral drugs so I'm just walking to the lab it's a beautiful day the sky is kind of blue the birds are out Unexpected. So I stopped to put my mask on to get in the building and a woman that works on my floor that I haven't seen in four months because the university's been closed except for us stopped to thank me for my work. That never happened before the pandemic. Morning. How are you? I am in terrible shape. Going up three flights of stairs with a mask on. Like, how do people even exercise with these things on? <sighs> Into the lab. I'm just calling Ariane, who works with me in the lab, so she can do some cell culture, so I can do work tomorrow. That are with the leftover cells in them. Um, and, you know, I can even make the 50 plates if I have to on Sunday. So they're ready on Monday. Um, but, you know, let's just get through the 24 plates and the 596 well or whatever that you're gonna make. So we just finished this call with um, 
the chancellor and lots of business leaders from big companies, big international companies that have home bases here in North Carolina. I think it went pretty well. Um, I think people just want to know what to expect as things start to open up and how they should be dealing with people returning to work and physical spaces. And it's just really hard to tell people what might be the right thing to do because even if everyone is really good about social distancing and hand washing and wearing masks, I think it's just inevitable as people get together more that we'll see new cases, more cases crop up. One other thing is that um, one of the drugs that we had been working on for the past uh, four years um, uh, is about to go into clinical trial um, here at UNC and I think maybe at Johns Hopkins as well. Tim's lab helped develop the drug remdesivir. It reduces recovery time for COVID-19 patients, but it doesn't seem to help patients admitted with severe cases of COVID-19. His lab also developed another antiviral drug effective against the coronavirus. It's been fast-tracked to clinical trials on his own campus in North Carolina. Normally the things that we do um, aren't, <laughs> uh, don't usually translate into some product or something that could save somebody's life um, uh, in their lifetime. Um, so that's really an interesting thing that's happening now. Having these people getting treated across the street is just mind-blowing. I just turned on NPR, and my friend Ralph Barrett, my mentor, is on the radio. What the hell? See if any of them could work against uh, a new emerging coronavirus. I wonder if they're just replaying uh, that something that's been on before. Much either by companies or by the NIH or by uh, reviewers who would review these pack these programs. So it's almost bedtime, but my kids are um, outside talking to one of my wife's friends with my wife. So I've got a few free minutes. I'm going to try and play guitar with this looping pedal thing that I have. So it is Saturday morning, 7.48. My family has gone out to have a fun morning. The farmer's market and then go strawberry picking and I am going to work to go work in the biosafety level 3 lab and finish some experiments that I didn't get to finish last week and I think it would be nice to be going strawberry picking but also nice to finish these experiments that need to get rolled into a paper that we've been working on getting back to this journal, so. So I just got to work and all of the parking spots behind the building that we usually take, most all of them are taken. But the fact that the parking lot is full means that lots of people are doing work and 
they're all from the lab that I work in. I'm going in. So, like, we've known each other for three years now, Tim. I think it's time that we get serious. <laughs> when am I going to meet your parents? <laughs> uh, well, right now, maybe never. <laughs> With this whole pandemic thing, yeah, that's so very old. true. I don't want to. I don't want to endanger right. anybody. No. <laughs> uh, so anyway, work, work. Yeah, we work here. Um, not right now, but right now we're talking, about, which is work. It is work. I'm about to do work. Are you? Have you eaten lunch yet? Oh hell yeah! I had Indian leftover Indian Ooh. from the dinner that I missed with my family. What kind of food? Shrimp sog. It was pretty good. Nice. So do people, like, that you know, are they, like, thanking you for your work and stuff like my that? My mom's co-workers. Uh-huh. My mom is telling me daily, like, oh, Cheryl at work wanted to, like, say thank you. Like, Yeah, they say, like, thank you. And I'm like, honestly, I've been trying stuff, but, like, <laughs> we don't have anything great yet. Not to sound, like, not hopeful, but... Um, it's getting there. It's getting there. It's slow but steady progress. What do you want to do today? So I have a call at 10. So if we went to Google Hop, we'd have to go like, maybe we'd have to leave at 8 to get to, for me to get home in time. Yes. What? We can wake up because I stayed up until um 9 9.30 maybe. Uh huh, yeah. I think 9.30 something. Why were you up so late? Because we wanted to wait until you came home. From work? Mm-hmm. And we wanted to read some of Clementine. That book is super funny. Isla read it to me. When I was eating dinner, she read the beginning part just so I could hear it. Um, did you hear about the cut off the hair in the bathroom yes. bit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. How are Gigi and Poppy? Good. I was sad to miss dinner. Were you sad? Mm-hmm. You seemed sad when I got home. That because you were home so late. Yeah. It's no fun. What are you doing? Stopping this. is greater than it's ever been the stress of the work because of the nature of the work and the sense of urgency that we're all feeling doing the work is different and greater than it's ever been um so i'm having to choose between you know doing these experiments and writing grants and getting my work done and spending time with my family and it's not really a good i don't like that math 
I don't know. There's no way out. You just got to keep on trying to do your best. Um, it's funny how, like, doing this kind of reflective... Uh, reflective talk on the way home I kind of sound like sullen hearing my voice now but you know back working in the lab it, it was actually pretty fun working with Kenny and uh, and Lily so it's not sad all the time it just doesn't come through when I'm talking like this sound wavy okay, you have here's sound Tim wave talking to his here. older brother Michael <laughs> what what are you um, what have you been thinking of like the media coverage of your little brother what is it like I think it's awesome um, I think it's funny to, to read about um, you know especially the GQ article I thought was was funny and informative at the same time so that was like a big turning point, a, a strange turning point where like um, uh, a, a biopic on a virologist is like something that would interest the general public, um, which I never like that doesn't that's not a thing. It is now. <laughs> I think somebody, I, I can't remember which friend of mine, after they had read the GQ story, said something to the effect of, oh, you know, finally scientists are, you know, getting their due or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's wife, Anna, is an epidemiologist, which means that she studies how particular diseases specifically impact populations. Here's Anna reflecting on the attention that Tim's been getting recently. Like, I often think about the way I would have handled this, and I would have found the pressure so much harder to take. There are so many moving pieces. Nobody knows what's going on. You're learning piece by piece. People are asking you questions as if you have a crystal ball and you have to guess. <laughs> no, one, no one could ever answer. No, yeah. and but they want answers and it's understandable and you have to give them your best information and say, we don't know. The pressure was something that really no one um, in your line of work is, is sort of ready for, right? That's the kind of thing you expect in more of a healthcare, direct healthcare position. Right. But it suddenly felt like the work you were doing could, um, you know, have a direct impact on people around you. And it was so overwhelming. And, you know, the acute sort of attention and stuff will fade, but the pressure on your work, the funding of your work, um, the importance of your work is now forever going to be seen in a different light than it was before 2020. I mean, what do you feel like has changed for you? Um... I don't know, I think I'm like mediocre at everything now. 
Well, I was pretty mediocre, like, in everything before. But, like, I think, like, it's hard to be home and be present and be a good dad. It's hard to try and help teach your kids when they're home from school and balance that with a mountain of work that um, that is never done. Yeah, but you're being, like, way too hard on yourself. I still think even in the midst of this crazy time where there's so much change in your work and so much importance in the work you're doing you're still super present with the kids who still are home most nights making dinner and then you put help put the kids to bed then you go back and you work till like one in the morning every night it's not sustainable but you're you're maximizing your time with and i don't think you're bad you're doing badly at anything you're doing And I think, like, one of the things that's been hard for me to deal with is, like, there's no end in sight to this, to what I'm doing now. Yeah. Like, um... Yeah. I don't know. Thanks to Tim for sharing recordings that were condensed and produced by me, Bishop Sand. This episode was edited by Lillian Cunningham and Ariel Plotnick. This is the final episode in our special series of weekly audio diaries. But all told, we'll continue to bring you stories in the months ahead, both about the pandemic and about other news that shapes your life. You can still get in touch with us about how the pandemic has affected you. But we'd also like to know how these stories in the series have impacted you, what you've learned from them, and what you'd like to know from future series. So let us know at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.